Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Six hundred and eleven out of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot were given through Moses, but the first two mitzvot, the first two commandments, we heard directly from God Himself, because these two mitzvot contain within them all the other mitzvot. The very first commandment, believe in God, contains with it all the two hundred and forty-eight active mitzvot, positive mitzvot, and the mitzvah of Thou shalt not worship idols contains within it all the three hundred and sixty-five don'ts prohibitions. Because, what is the idea of belief in God? The belief in God is not only to believe that there is a God, but to believe that God is the Almighty and God is the All-Powerful and God is, runs this world, is in, is in charge of this world. Not only He created the world, but He's in charge of this world. He runs the world. He controls the world. But the ultimate belief, the very beginning, the very first of the Ten Commandments, is the belief that there is no other reality but God. There's no existence outside of God. Because every time you're doing a mitzvah, you are becoming unified with God. You're affirming the unity of God. Because when you do a mitzvah, and you become an implement and a tool through which to fulfill God's will, so at that moment, you become, and your soul and the object of the mitzvah, become an organ to God. You become intimate and connected and unified with God. When every organ in your body becomes an expression of God's will, then your whole being becomes an organ to God. It was a beautiful story, the... The Mittler Rebbe, second Lubavitch Rebbe, the son of the author of the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, used to travel to visit his Hasidim in different towns. Not everyone had the opportunity to visit him in Lubavitch, which was the headquarters of the Chabad Lubavitch movement. And once he was traveling, it was, uh, you know, it was very horse and buggy, and it was in winter in Russia. And it was a long day, and he was tired, he was exhausted, and he was hungry. And finally, late at night, they arrive at the inn. What's the first thing he did? With his coat still on, he ran to the bookshelf. He took out a code of Jewish law and he said, this is God's will. This is God's mind. And he spent all night. He didn't even take his coat off. He didn't even run to, run to the fireplace to warm up. He forgot that he's hungry. He forgot that he's exhausted, that he's tired. And he spent all night just learning because he was so excited about the opportunity and the ability to connect and to become unified with God. What is idolatry in a broader sense? Idolatry is not just if you believe in another God, that there are two gods. Or you believe that, that someone else has a power and force other than God. Idolatry is anything that's an ego, anything that's separate from God, is independent of God, that is idolatry. When you do something that goes against the will of God, God desires us to do so-and-so and to behave so-and-so and instead either a sin of omission or a sin of commission we are not fulfilling God's wish and desire and instead we are doing the opposite you know what's the what's this first sign of illness in a person a health a healthy body is unselfconscious a healthy body is totally tuned in with the soul and does exactly what the soul wants him to do. You want to move your hand? This, the body automatically moves the hand. Imagine if the body starts rebelling against the soul. You want to move your hand? The body says, no, I don't want to move my hand. 
you check into a hospital. I mean, that's, that person is, is very dire, is, is direly ill, critically ill. When the body stops responding to the soul, and the body has a mind of its own, and the body is aware of itself, self-awareness, the moment you become aware of yourself, it's the first sign of illness. A healthy body is unselfconscious, it's light. A, healthy, a living person is light. A corpse is very heavy. A living person is very light. And you're unselfconscious of you. The moment you become conscious of yourself, that, that's a sign of illness. And the same is spiritually. The moment God wants one thing, and I want my own thing. And I do the exact opposite of what God wants. When the body starts rebelling against its own soul, that's the opposite side. That's the other side. That's klipa. That's the shell. That's disconnected. That's a sign of unhealth. So it's the equivalent of worshipping idols. It's the same idea. Because as he explained, worshipping idols doesn't necessarily mean that you believe in two gods. Or you believe that, that the God shares, uh, there's another power or force in this universe. Belief in idols means you believe that there is an independent existence outside of God. You're demonstrating your independence, your separation, your ego. God wants one thing and I want another thing. And I'm going to follow my agenda. So at that moment, your being becomes unified with idolatry. And if you're ready to give up your life and make the ultimate sacrifice for your belief in the unity of God, then for that same reason, you should be ready to give up your life rather than violate a single transgression or prohibition in the Torah. It doesn't matter if it's biblical or rabbinic. If the body will start revolting against the soul, doing the opposite of the soul, that's real serious business. So the same thing is spiritual. As long as we're egoless, as long as we're completely unified with God and our whole being is an implement and an organ expression of God, then we are completely unified with God. When our thought, our speech, our action, our daily behavior, our mind is fully engaged in Torah, then we are completely healthy, spiritually healthy. But the moment we sense ourselves, we are independent of that. We feel egotistical. We don't feel a connection with God. That is idolatry. And, and this could even mean on a very subtle level. If a person, let's say a person prays to God. Obviously he believes in God. He's praying to God. And he knows that if you want to be successful in business, you have to speak to the big boss. You know that God, God is in charge of this world, is in control of this world. So you want to be healthy, you want to be successful, you've got to give God what He wants. So I'll make time to pray, and I'll make, I'll make sure to give charity, to give tzedakah, and I'll do the mitzvah. I know that the success came because I prayed, because I gave tzedakah, because I'm a good person, because I did good things, and I, I'm, I acted responsibly, I acted maturely, I found time to study Torah. I gave God what He wanted of me. But that was just a means to an end. All of that was like a barter. Okay, God, I did what you want. Now you give me what I want. What do I want? I want business. I want money. I want success. Why do you want business? Why do you want money? Why do you want success? Because I, because I like it. I want it. I want good things in life. And I want to be successful. So you make a barter deal with God. Listen, I'll give you your share. I'm going to find time to study Torah. I understand if I don't find time to study Torah, I don't find time to pray, you're not going to find time for me either. 
So all, I can work 18 hours a day and I won't be successful because I don't have God's blessing. You find the time to study Torah and you find the time to come to shul and you find the time to... You give God what He wants, you'll have all the success you need because you have God's blessing. But what's your agenda? What's your life all about? What are you living for? You're not living to pray, to study Torah, to do a mitzvah, to act selflessly, to do a, to give to doctor. What's your identity? Your identity is, is your ego, is yourself. Materialism. Acquire possessions. What is the sign of health? The sign of health is when the body is completely unselfconscious. There's no ego. The body has no agenda of its own. The identity of the body is the identity of the soul. The agenda of the body is the agenda of the soul. It has no other agenda. In other words, what do I live for? I live for to pray, to study Torah, to do a mitzvah. But God wants it to be a world. He wants us to be practical and to be successful. Yes, of course, I'm going to work and I'm going to be successful. God will help me and bless me. But that's the means. What's the end? How do I define myself? What's my life all about? My life is all about. I can't wait for Shabbos. I can't wait till I can pray. It's refreshing. I refresh myself. I look forward. Yes. Quantity-wise, I spend most of my time is engaged in my career, my business. Six days a week you work, only one day. But how do I define myself quality-wise? Where am I at? What's my identity? Who am I? What, what, when do I live it up? What do I look forward to? That hour of learning a week, that's what I look forward to. That's, that's when I live it up. That's who I am. Everything else is just a means to an end. That's a healthy person. That's holiness. That's when you're united with God. That's when you affirm God's unity. That's when you're not worshiping idols. But this serves God in order to have this bar to deal with God. That's idolatry. Your ego, you're independent. You have your own agenda. Yes, you obey God. You're religious, you obey God. God is the big boss. You're not foolish. You know who, bro- who butters your bread. But... That's just the means. The end is, the body is the end. The soul is just the means. That's idolatry. That's where the body is self-conscious. That's a sign of spiritual unhealth. That's unplugged, being unplugged, being disconnected. It's even worse than idolatry. Why is it worse than idolatry? All the forces of evil, the, the demons, or the, or, the, or the negative angels, negative energy, they're fulfilling their mission. It's part of the mission. It's a beautiful analogy given by the Balshemtiv. The king wanted to test his subjects once. So he, he asked one of his ministers, his faithful minister, to pretend and to create a rebellion. Just to test the people who will follow him, who will be foolish enough to follow him, and who will remain loyal to the king. And they were able to separate the, the, the men from the boys, those who who got caught up in the rebellion, versus those who remained faithful to the king. Until the one person came and he exposed the whole thing. He says, you're not a rebel. You're an agent. You're working for the king. And then it was all over. Because once you know the secret, then, then it's all over. It's just a pretense. The whole thing is a lie. It's a mirage. When we look at this world and these negative forces and... And, and their temptations and distractions and what people call the Satan. And, and, 
But the truth is, he is a holy angel, just like all the other angels. He's just fulfilling his mission. It's a mirage. It's just a test. That's all it is. Hashem is just testing us. Deep down, the Satan is praying, don't, don't fall for me. I'm, I'm just here to test you. Be strong. So it's just a mirage. So the, even the negative forces are really just fulfilling their mission. Like a story with Rabbi Naftali of, of Rapshitz. He was a very sharp, very sharp. So as a child, it was an Eastern European winter, and his father woke him up early to wake up, to come to shul. And it was snowing, it was a blizzard, and it was warm under the blanket. He didn't want to wake up. So he comes late. His father says, why don't you learn a lesson from your evil inclination? You didn't want to get out of bed, because the evil inclination was telling you, stay under the covers. Why go up to shul? It's too cold too lazy. Look, your evil inclination was not lazy. He was up at five in the morning. He was already working full time. <laughs> he, he was <laughs> so Naftali smiled. He's a little boy. He says, yeah, but the Yetzirah doesn't have a Yetzirah. <laughs> he doesn't have an evil inclination telling him he's doing his job. So he has nothing stopping him. That's exactly his mission. But I have a Yetzirah telling me, trying to stop me and to slow me down. So the, 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 the energy the negative energies, negative forces in this world, the negative angels, they cannot rebel against God because they are agents of God. They're also angels. They're also fulfilling a mission. Why? Because since they're not enclosed in a physical body, therefore they know of God. They sense God. They're not totally disconnected from God. They can't rebel against God. Versus a human being, since we are, we are souls and bodies, so as a result of our body, which is so dense and materialistic, it totally obstructs ungodliness. It totally blocks out any sense of godliness. So much so that we can rebel against God. We can disobey God. An angel can't disobey God. We can disobey God. With, with equanimity. It doesn't bother us. We sleep like a baby. God says one thing. He wrote in his Torah, Thou shalt not. And we go ahead and do it anyway. Or he says, Thou shalt. And we, and we don't do it. Cold-bloodedly. doesn't even bother us. An angel is not possible. How can you rebel against God? It's impossible. Because an angel is spiritual. When you're spiritual, there's some connection, even a negative angel, even negative energy. And the forces of evil actually feed off. They're, they're like parasites. They feed off human beings. It's like, take a society. Society has a police force. If, if everyone is law-abiding, the police have nothing to do. <laughs> They're out of business. They really have nothing to do. If everyone is a mensch and everyone is law-abiding, they there, but you don't even notice their presence. Because they don't... But the moment you act criminally, they become active. And then, then you have the police, and you have the judge, and then you have the sentencing. You, you activate a whole... A whole society of, of, of criminality. A whole underworld. But it's the criminal choices that feed that whole world. If we were not to feed that world, if we all acted, follow our better, better self, and listen to our inner voice and inner consciousness, and we all led wholesome lives, and we all made the wise and right choices, then evil would shrink. There's nothing to nourish it. There's nothing to nurture it, to sustain it. We sustain it. But it's like a parasite. 
it's a self-destructive force because it destroys the person. The evil destroys the person. It nourishes you. It takes away. It sucks out anything that's good within you. It takes away. It robs you of your innocence. Robs you of your wholesomeness. But by the time it's done with you, there's nothing left to suck out. And then the person is destroyed. And when the person is destroyed, the evil is destroyed in the process because it's a parasite. So it's a dead end. It's really self-destructive. It's a dead end. But it doesn't care. It's, it's suicidal. It'll suck you. It'll tempt you. First, it'll tempt you. Create a dazzling picture. Oh, beautiful lifestyle. Come, come to the casino. Come. That'll, that'll rob you and destroy you and suck you in until you become an addict. And then you're destroyed. And then spit you out. And then punish you. And then destroy you. And then it destroys itself in the process. So it's, suicid- it's a suicidal, it's a dead end. It goes nowhere. But we feed the forces of evil. It has no energy on its own. On its own, it's, it's, it's very passive. It's... So because we are the only ones who can violate, transgress a prohibition, go against God's will. Evil itself can go against God's will. The negative forces, negative angels can't go against God's will. We are the only ones who can go against God's will. When we go against God's will, we nourish, we give a burst of energy. And therefore, the greater the person, the holier the person, the greater the potential, the Talmud says, the greater the person, the greater is his evil inclination. Who are they going to go after? They're going to go after the holy person, the person who's holy, who's the deep soul, an intense soul, a powerful soul, pure, sincere, and they're going to latch on to that person, try to get him to seduce him, and try to get him to sucker him in, and to fall, that he should, he should sully himself and dirty himself, and, and stumble and lose his spirituality, and lose, lose his godly sense, because there's a lot to nasha. When you get that soul to sin, or to fall, or to become degraded, they have enough food to feed them for to nourish. You know, there was a beautiful story, the Baal Shem Tov. Washington was sitting Shalashudas with his students. And the lights were dim. And he asked everyone to tell a, a story. And this simple Jew was sitting around the table. And he said, this is a very strange story. He says, in where I am, where I live, right next door there's a haunted house. You always hear spirits there. And, um, and they're always dancing in a great mood. And, and one... one one week, they were like crying, they were mourning. And I asked him, I had a conversation with him, I said, what's, 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 what's going on? He said, I'll tell you, there's this holy rabbi in town. He's a saint. He fasts all week, from Sunday to Friday, sundown, he fasts, and he prays, and he studies Torah. But he has one sin, one grave sin. He comes home at night, Friday night. And his wife prepares him some milk because he's fasting for six days. And he's always upset. The milk is, he starts yelling at his wife, the milk is not ready, the milk is too cold, the milk is too hot. And when he yells, he gets angry, loses his temper, we have enough energy to feed us for the whole week. Because this holy rabbi who just spends six days learning and praying and, and in solitude, and here he loses his temper, which is the equivalent of idolatry. He gives us enough nourishment to last. He says, okay, so that, now I understand why you're always in a good mood, but why this week were you crying? 
And then he heard on Shabbos they were dancing from joy like, like nothing else. So I'll tell you, this week he decided. He realized, you know, something is wrong with me. I really have a real character flaw. I'm losing my temper. I'm getting angry. What's the use of all my learning and all my praying when God says if you get angry, it's as if you worship idols. So I decided that I am going to prepare the milk myself and I'm going to put it away in a hidden place so when I come, I know where it is, I don't get angry at my wife. Anyway, so he hides it on top of the shelf in his library. Anyway, he comes home and meanwhile, the wife wants to prepare for him and she's looking. And without knowing, by mistake, she was climbing up to the, to the, uh, to the top of the bookshelf she didn't even know the milk was there, so she, <laughs> she pulled off the whole top, top shelf, and the milk came pouring down. When the husband saw this, that was over. He said, we was about to get a divorce. He says, no. Till now, I thought that maybe it's a mistake, maybe you're Shlemiel or Shlemazel. But now when I hit it, you also messed it up. Now I know you're out to get me. And he was yelling at her and screaming at her. And when they, so he says, a whole week we were crying, we thought that's it. That's the end of our nourishment. Because it's the rabbi getting angry that, that gave us enough nourishment to last all week. But now he's not going to get angry anymore. What are we going to live on? But now that he lost his temper and he got so angry, he's about to divorce his wife. He says, we have enough to nourish us for the next year. Anyway, after Shabbos, they, they, davened, they, made, Abdullah, they made Abdullah, they put on the lights, and they saw that someone fainted. Because the rabbi who the story was about, was one of the students of Hashem. When he was sitting right next to this person, when he heard the story, he realized what effect and impact his behavior had, and he fainted. So it's only a human being who's clothed in a body, who has the ability to rebel against God. We can nourish and feed the forces of impurity, the satanic negative energies and forces of hatred in this world through our negative behavior, through our negative because the forces of evil, the negative forces that are, feel independent, that are egotistical and arrogant and feel independent, but nevertheless, they acknowledge God and they can't deny God. But the Jew who violates God's will, God's express wish, and nonchalantly just go ahead and violate His will, it's not only that we deny that there's no other reality than God. We deny that God is even in charge or in control. God says one thing, and I do the opposite. So it's not only that the body senses itself and has a healthy sense of self, but the body actually denying the soul, going against the soul. God is so abstract to us. God is so distant. God is so not a reality to us. And not only do we sense ourselves, and we have our own egos and our own identities and our own agendas, but we go ahead and cold-bloodedly and nonchalantly we go ahead and violate God's express wish and will as expressed in the code of Jewish law, as expressed in the Torah. Whether biblical, rabbinic. So in a way, it's more degrading. It's much lower. It's a greater disconnect. It's a greater rebellion than even, even the idol itself. Because not only are you an entity for yourself, are you denying God's absolute unity, that there's no other reality than God, you're even denying that God is in charge, that, that God is in control. The body listens to the soul. And you're not even listening to your own soul. Rebelling against your own soul, your own life source. You're nothing without the soul. We're nothing without God. And we have the chutzpah to go ahead and 
violate, trespass, transgress, go ahead and go against God's express wish and will and desire. That, that's outright rebellion. That, that's worse. The greater disconnect, that's more degrading than, than idolatry itself. And that's why we are able to sustain the evil forces. It's only our choices when we violate and transgress a prohibition we sustain and we feed, we nourish. Because the negative forces are like bloodsuckers. They feed off, we give them energy. We give them new, fresh blood, fresh energy. Because only we are able to violate and go against God's will, God's wish and desire. So it's, wor it's worse than idolatry. And therefore, if we're ready to give up our life, rather than bow down to an idol, how much more so that we should be ready to give up our life, make a sacrifice, rather than, God forbid, violate a single prohibition in the Torah. God's will for us is sacred. And we live to fulfill God's will. That is our life. That is our being. We don't have any other agendas. That is our whole being. And to go ahead and to violate Hashem's will, this is worse than idolatry itself. So the Talmud says a person doesn't sin unless they act foolishly. What it means literally is we see when a person sins, even a wise person will do very foolish things. Once you have a passion for something and you want something, you'll do foolish things. And later on when you're caught, you look back and you realize it's ridiculous. How did I do this? You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. But we do crazy things, insane things. You get so caught up in your passion that you want to receive it. Once you, once you, you put yourself on the receiving end, you're no longer un, in control. Once you want something, then, then you, you receive from it. Once you receive, you have no self-control and no self-discipline, and you'll do, you'll do whatever it takes, and you do things that are foolish. But you can't help yourself. It's only because of that moment of insanity, because there's a disconnect, because they don't realize and they don't sense that what they're about to do is the equivalent of idolatry. And even worse than idolatry, that's the only reason they're able to go ahead and sin with equanimity and nonchalant. Every fiber of your being and every bone in your body should yell against it. Should say, stop, you can't do this. I can't commit suicide, it's spiritual suicide. Any sin, biblical or rabbinic, is spiritual suicide. It's not an option, you can't. But, but we do. It's a moment of insanity. That's the only explanation. There's no other explanation. And yet, the Torah says that even such a person were they to realize what they're about to do, that they're about to transgress and about to violate Hashem's will, they couldn't do it. That would give them all the strength they need to be able to overcome, to make that sacrifice, to be able to overcome that urge and that instinct. How can you make any distinction between any of the 365 prohibitions, even a rabbinic prohibition and idolatry? So if you're ready to give up your life for idolatry, you should be ready to give up your life rather than, God forbid, go against one letter of the code of Jewish law. Do something that's expressly prohibited, whether in thought, speech, or action. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky